Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. Viator is a website and app where you can book travel experiences like hiking Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania or enjoying the views while cruising on a catamaran in the Caribbean. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. With over 300,000 bookable experiences in 190 countries, there's something for everyone. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. When you book a travel experience with Viator, there's always flexibility and support with free cancellation, payment options, and 24-7 service. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10. That's V-I-A-T-O-R-10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. I'm April. And I'm Caroline. And this is your bloody happy hour. Caroline, are you ready for this? This is your newest guilty pleasure. It's the bloodiest part of your week. Did we say something about it also being happy hour? Showed in. Because we're about to be sipping on some murder. Bloody happy hour. Hey, y'all. This is April. Hey, it's Caroline. And we have a quick Q&A for you. Get ready. Get ready. We have somebody famous on the line. You heard his name a couple times during these last couple of episodes. We have the famous Mr. Russ Hunts. Mr. Hunt, introduce yourself and tell him what your life is like today. What do you do today? Okay. I am Russ Hunt Sr., not to be confused with Russ Hunt Jr., who is my son. Okay. Both of us are criminal defense lawyers. Both of us are capital attorneys, which means that we have both been uh, licensed and certified by the state to say, yes, they can be appointed in capital murder cases. That's murder cases where the state is seeking the death penalty. Oh, my goodness. Do you need somebody to shred your paperwork? Do you need a secretary? <laughs> that Are you sounds trying to get so a job, juicy. April? <laughs> that sounds exciting. Okay, and does your son work with you? No. Yes okay. and no. Okay. He has his own practice. He has an office in Georgetown. He primarily practices in Williamson and Travis counties. But when they ask for court appointment uh, attorneys to volunteer, then he and I will volunteer to go together as a team. So you can't have two lawyers in the same office be together, but you can have lawyers in different offices. And we don't have any kind of a business connection, except we uh, seem to uh, practice really well together. So uh, we enjoy trying cases together, and that's what we do. And right now, I think we've got six or seven capital murder cases that are in various stages of getting ready for trial. Oh, my goodness. April's going to try to get on the jury of every one of those. <laughs> yes. That'd be great. 
Now, I don't think I think I'm the only person in the world that's wants to just wants to volunteer to be on a jury. Okay, so I'm, you should be really proud of your son. That's really exciting. I'm oh, I'm I that is good. That is so good. Okay, tell us about Russ Hunt. Um, how many years ago was this? Forty years ago? Thirty-eight yeah. years ago? Tell us what your job title was then. I was lead counsel in uh, the David Wayne Spence case, but my actual job title was I was working for a primarily civil law firm, Fulbright, Winterford, Bison, Mirable, which was in at that time was primarily an insurance practice, an insurance defense firm. But I did all of the appointments that were given to the firm. So I, the firm was appointed. I was lead chair, and Hayes Fuller was my second chair. Yes. Okay. I remember that name. What's Hayes Fuller doing now? I don't know if he's still practicing. I think he is okay. with Damon Hunt. Okay. Um, and so how did you become the lucky lawyer, David Wayne Spence case? Well, I had tried a number of cases in George Allen's court. Judge Allen was the, the uh, presiding judge of the 54th District Court, and he and I had known each other for Oh, at that time, probably six years, and I had practiced in front of him when he was on the county court bench and then when he was on the district court bench, and I think that he felt, well, here's somebody that can handle this case, and he isn't afraid of it, so I'll appoint him. Oh, okay. I'm glad you brought up his name, so I got a question um, with him here in a little bit. Okay, so we're going to warn everybody that um, this was 40 years ago, and so his memory may not be what it was 40 years ago, but we're going to try to jog his memory a little bit. Did you refresh yourself on the case? Uh, yes, I talked to you. Okay, <laughs> and that's it. That's it. Um, okay, so my first question is, when you guys wrote that 33-page um, letter, to the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office, right? And you were kind of warning them that a guy, a innocent man may get the death penalty. Yes. Where did that, did you, where did that go? I mean, he obviously went to trial and he obviously got put to death, but did you ever hear back from the Attorney's Office? How does that usually work? Well, we did that. Now, I think this is right. I think we sent that before we ever tried Spence. Because what we were trying to do is to get the federal government involved because we thought, quite frankly, that it was a uh, shitty investigation. Right. And so maybe if the FBI gets involved, then maybe they'll do a decent investigation and discover that we're right because Hayes and I were convinced that hey, that uh, David Wynn Spence had not done the crime. Okay, okay. Um. Yeah, it, and it was. That's what it said. Is that you? Y'all tried to say this is a bogus trial, and that the evidence wasn't good evidence, and it was all hearsay. And then when Judge Allen, he kind of he might have set you up for failure, when Judge Allen, um, kind of knocked that out of the like knocked that, and then y'all wrote the letter. So good, your memory was right, Caroline. What's your question? So. What was your experience meeting with and speaking with David Wayne Spence? I'm sorry. What was my experience? What with when meeting with and speaking with David Wayne Spence? Well, I remember the first time that Hayes and I went over to see him, and 
all we knew was what we had read in the newspaper. And so we figured we're going to be dealing with some kind of a, a bloodthirsty killer who was probably going to try to hurt us. So we came up with a game plan of what we would do if that was the case and how we were going to make sure that the state didn't have to try him because he'd be dead. So what, what, what was that game plan? Like, what do you, what do you, how do you even plan for that? Oh, I'm not going to give away. Oh, <laughs> two against we, one. We figured out. Just how you can take him on if he was bloodthirsty, but was he bloodthirsty? We were going to take him out. Okay. <laughs> hey, that's what you got to do. So when you got in that room there with him, um, what was his demeanor? Well, initially, he did not trust us at all because he didn't have any reason to trust anybody that worked for the state. And uh, the more we got to know him, and quite frankly, the better we got to like him, uh, it was our opinion that he might be guilty of some things that uh, people would frown on, but he basically uh, was somebody that didn't do the crime and he was charged with a capital murder case that we believed he wasn't guilty of. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a um, friend of the family that was a jailer at that time as well. And he was a jailer. And so he had Kenneth McDuff come through and then he had David Wayne Spence. And he was like, Kenneth McDuff, you felt the evil. He was evil. He looked evil. He acted evil. He was evil and he was violent. But David Wayne Spence, he was, you did not get that um, feeling from him. And then he didn't even show that when he was talking to others. So I've heard that a couple of times, actually. Well, you could hear just the opposite of that, too, because yeah. there were killers that I talked to that said, oh, man, you could see the devil in his eyes. I mean, it was like talking to the devil himself. But we talked to a an eye doctor who talked told us that David has a condition where his eyes reflected the light somehow that sometimes it actually looked like his eyes were, were transparent and mm -hmm. that scared the shit out of some people. Uh-huh. Wow. I hope your broadcast isn't going to be on Baylor because they might throw on me saying like words that I've used, shame on me. Oh, we've said worse. Oh, yeah, we've said worse. We've said worse. Well, this is probably not a um, G-rated crowd that's going to be oh, listening. Okay. Um, so what was my next question? Okay, so Judge Allen. And you said you're going to talk to him later? No, 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 no. I was going to bring him up later. Oh, so okay. well, do you feel... Talk to him, you give him my best because he is a... A fine man. Okay. And he, so is he still around Waco? Uh, yeah, I haven't seen him for a couple months, but he's been around Waco. Oh, I might try to hit him up. Okay, so there was a part in the book where you guys tried to introduce some new names. James Bishop, he was the, I think it was James Bishop, he was the guy that was a Waco native, but then right after the murders moved to California and committed some similar um, crimes there against rape against women and then a guy named Ronnie Britton that he was seen he was fishing and had blood on him that night at the lake he was seen at Lake Waco with blood um, so when you brought in those names y'all brought in those names and Judge Allen 
shut that down. What was your opinion on that at the time? And then maybe like now, was it, do you think that he would, he wanted a conviction and kind of closed the case because it's had been going and going and going? Or do you think there wasn't really enough as of evidence to bring their name to the table at the time? I think what I thought at the time is different than what I think now. What okay. I think now, Judge Allen was trying his very best to try a clean trial and didn't want to get in some stuff that shouldn't legally come before a jury. So he was just, just trying to be careful. Okay. Got it. Got it. And it blew up anyways. Okay, Caroline. Hmm. Do you uh, ask that one? I don't know. Go to the next one. So, okay. Yeah. Speaking of if the case was tried today, do you think they would have been convicted? No, I don't. Yeah. Remember, one of the things, maybe the biggest thing that the jury saw was the forensic odontologist who said that, oh, not any question, you could tell it was David Spence's teeth marks uh-huh. in one of the girls. That guy has since been sort of defrocked, and uh, od- forensic odontologist on od- odontology as a science has been debunked to the place where it's not permitted to come into court anymore because it's so full of shit. Yeah. I was wondering, cause I don't, I watch a lot of court TV, <laughs> but I, ha- I've never heard <laughs> of that. And so you think about like Ted Bundy, like that was there. There's one of their smoking guns for convicting him. So if that isn't science, I wonder how many people, or like if it wasn't even science then, it wasn't allowed then, I wonder how many people would not be in jail or criminals yeah. or executed because of that. It probably was admissible then. Yeah. It is more, but that's because they've got a, done a lot of um, cleaning up of the forensic evidence rules and procedures. But uh, I don't believe that any of that would come in now was tried now wow that that sucks um okay so i'm gonna go back to the james bishop guy the california guy um do we know whatever happened to him and did you did we were we trying to bring up a reasonable doubt with him and ronnie britain um and kind of take the heat off of david at the time or did we truly think that he could be a viable suspect we thought he could be a viable suspect i think since that time, uh, some other people have done far more than we did and uh, came up with some additional suspects that uh, probably actually are the killers. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, if you want to talk to Fred Bannon, you maybe can find some additional information about that. Okay, okay. Yeah, I remember his name coming up. Okay, let's talk about Juanita White and kind of that bombshell that hit couple months after the case when she was found murdered and um what what i'd read go ahead it's a sad story it is it's horrible Juanita was david's mother she came to me one day just absolutely happy as can be because she had a piece of evidence that was going to clear david and and he was going to be out of jail and she could prove it i said well what have you got and what she had was a letter from one of the inmates that had testified against David saying that he was willing to come into court now and tell the truth, and that is 
that he lied about everything on the stand and so did the other inmate witnesses because they were offered deals where their sentences would be shortened and stuff like that. And he was willing to testify about it. And so she was convinced that that letter was going to clear David. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, why don't you do this? Give me the letter and I will get it to the U.S. attorney and I'll make you copies so you have copies of it. She said, okay. <laughs> she came to my office then, gave that to me. I got that letter to the United States attorney. Uh, she left, and knowing Juanita, I'm sure she went around telling people she had something now that was going to clear David, and she didn't have anything to worry about. And I, She probably came to talk to me on a Friday, and by Monday she was dead as a doornail. Wow. Wow. Because she'd been murdered by somebody who I think had gone into her house in order to try to steal the letter mm -hmm. that she didn't have. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, she didn't have it anymore. And actually, after they they had the murder call, the call of the homicide, and then there was another call at the same house that when they came back, the house had been ransacked. Um, again, somebody looking for that letter that they never found. That's because she was dirt poor. She didn't have anything worthwhile. You wouldn't go into that house looking for hidden jewelry or money right. or certificate deposit. I think the only thing that somebody was looking for was that letter. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um. Let's see. In your opinion, and I don't know if you can say this, what would what do you think happened on July 14, 1982? Um, and do you have a person in mind that you think or people in mind? But what do you think actually happened that day? I think probably the kids were out at the lake partying. and They got with the wrong people. And uh, something happened and it all went south. And that. David Gilbert and uh, Anthony weren't with those kids and didn't have anything to do with the killing. Wow. But you don't have a favorite person in mind? I've forgotten all of the names, okay. but I remember that Fred knew the names, but he wasn't even divulging the names of people that he actually thought he was trying to get um, – DNA samples from them in order to establish that they were, in fact, the killers. Uh-huh. He thought he might even be able to get a confession. That's the last I talked to him about that. There was a Tab Harper, I think. Right. Um, and then he was just supposed to be, like, had a bad guy demeanor, just like David Wayne Spence, and he was at Caney Park that day. So some of the tip lines and... You know, town talk, his name came up a couple times. And the last thing that I saw kind of on the blog that people were still like, how come Tab Harper wasn't investigated more? Where is he now? Is he alive? Is he listening to this? <laughs> I think Tab Harper's dead as a doornail, isn't he? I don't know. I don't know. He might be. I, I remember because, again, I've slept since then, but I can't remember. Truman okay. Simon was there when one of the people who we thought might be involved is alleged to have committed suicide. Okay. That's Benny Carroll, I believe. 
He's the one that was convicted. Uh, well, unless there's another. Benny Carroll was convicted of, or not convicted. His DNA is the one that sh- actually matched with Juanita White's. Right, right. But they couldn't take it any further than that because he shot himself. Right. Okay. All right. Um, what about the Melendezes? Do we think, I mean, do you think they were involved? Uh, no, I don't. No, not at all. It's interesting because we got a copy of the audio from when uh, Gilbert was taken to the lake to show the police where the bodies were to demonstrate that he, in fact, knew something about it. He, he was a party. When afterward, we were told by Gilbert or Gilbert's attorney or somebody for Gilbert as investigator or somebody that the police had taken him out there and the crime scene tape was still up. So he really didn't have much to do except say, we went this way. And Captain Weinberg would say, are you sure it was this way? And that was the key to him. No, uh, that wasn't He'd go a different way. But the crime scene was, was tape was still up. You really don't have much trouble picking out a crime scene if it's surrounded by yellow tape, do you? <laughs> no. Right. Right. Wow. Lord. Um, so I'm going to bring up Benny Carroll again because he's the one that obviously his DNA matched Juanito. Do we, do we think that was just random or do we think – his motive was to cover up, and so if so, do we think he's the one that killed, or had something to do to kill the triple murders, Kenneth, Jill, and that, Raylene? I don't think anything to do with the triple murders. No, I think he went in Juanita's house to get that letter, and maybe she surprised him, so he killed her. But why would he want the letter? I guess. Well, he maybe would be trying to get the letter for somebody else. Hmm. Who do you think would? Food with the letter. I don't know. <laughs> ah, but he knows. I don't hmm. know. I don't know. Okay. What do you have? Um. What? Okay. If you could start all over on this case, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Loaded question. Good question. If it was being tried now as opposed to being tried then, I'm sure that I would do something differently. For example, the forensic odontologist. We wouldn't have to worry about that because we spent hours and hours with that. Uh-huh. We, had, we talked to the best forensic odontologist in the country. Uh, went to California, had a guy from California come and talk to us about what Homer Campbell said. So we spent a lot of hours that we certainly wouldn't spend now. Um, I probably would uh, get David run on a, a good polygraph test. Okay. Because I think it's fast. Okay. Um, but were those admissible in court back then? No, but no. I still use polygraph test all the time in plea bargaining uh-huh. with prosecutors. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, 
Now these odontologists, they just, they just look at teeth marks on what are they on your like on the body? Yeah. Right. And so these yeah, only had pictures. Homer Campbell said that the forensic odontologist looks at the marks that are made there, and that the, that human flesh is a great medium for it. Since that time, forensic odontologists say you can never do that. That's totally wrong because flesh is the worst possible medium <laughs> for recording marks. What? And lots of people have been misidentified with that, including one person that Homer Campbell misidentified. Uh, there was a plane crash. He claimed that uh, this person was obviously the person that died. And then two or three years later, the person turned up alive in Florida or something. Yeah. Yeah. I remember seeing that. Um. Okay, so you kind of already answered this question. You, as far as David, you believed then and believe now that he was innocent. So a lot of these lawyers that were like the TRC royal lawyer, let me think what that stand, Texas Resource Council, I think, that um, the pro bono group of lawyers that were working on him, behalf of him as well, they didn't really have an opinion of him being guilty or innocent. They just thought he had an unfair trial, and then that was their whole goal is to prove that. But well, I think he had an unfair trial, but I also think that he was innocent. innocent. I don't think he Okay. And I think that's based on what we did then. And afterward, I maintained a friendship with David where he and I would exchange letters, and he sent me some interesting stuff that he had made in in prison and i went to his funeral when they brought the body back here oh wow <clears throat> wow 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 um okay so those trc lawyers that um got him a couple of stays from or of the F execution i don't know how you word that so they would write these Ritz, I think they called him, write these letters, they'd be granted right. a stay. So he got to live a little bit longer. And then they were working, and they were working to debunk a, that odontology and just a bunch, and the um, inmates, jail inmates and their confessions. Do you think that if they had more time that they could have got the case overturned? Hard to tell. I don't do any appellate work. But I did talk to a lot of those people, including Raoul Schoneman, who did a tremendous amount of work, worked his butt off at it. And Raoul is still practicing in Austin. Okay. But and he's a fine lawyer. But I think they just did everything they could possibly do. Okay. He just ran out of time. And it seemed like David kind of gave up towards the end, too. He was like, there's no hope. I'm just going to go be with my mom. Um, it's hard to feel like that. Yeah. Okay. Here's a question. Do you think well, his kids are still around? Uh, I'm sorry. No, thank you. Was that Alexa? <laughs> I don't have any idea why she started talking. <laughs> she listens to the conversations. No, she no. wants to get in on it. Say yes to continue or no to end the game. No. <laughs> <laughs> She wants to be on the podcast. 
you. Okay, Caroline, what's your question? What's your last question? Okay, my last question is what are some of your other like major cases in Waco and what's your most infamous case? I mean, I could probably guess, but I'll let you tell us. Well, probably the one you, you ought to mention is that we went to trial. We, my son and I, went to trial about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, with a capital murder case, and the jury acquitted our client. They found him guilty. Oh. Well, now Who that's public it? knowledge, right? So you could tell us. I can tell you what. You can tell us, right, who it is and what the case was? Yeah, I can, but okay. it'd be more of a challenge if you would if you would look it up. Oh. <laughs> you know I'm going to look this up. Okay, capital murder case acquitted. Capital murder in the 18th District Court uh, tried uh, in the uh, large courtroom in the annex. Ooh. Prosecutors were Chrissy Hunting Horse and Vanessa Fuentes. I think that's her guy. I'm going to have to look it up. Okay, so while she's looking that up, um, how long did the David Wayne Spence case bug you? Like, Did you have a lot of sleepless nights? Is it still? Do you still think about those things when you're driving, like, down Herring? I occasionally think of David, yes. Okay. And does it bug me? Yes, it still bugs me if, uh, frequently, if I get started talking about it, I get so angry, I, I have trouble keeping my train of thought. Oh, okay. So, do you have you had to work with or against Vic Fazell since this case? I'm, I don't think that I've had any opportunities to cross swords with Vic since then. Okay. He and I don't get along real well <laughs> I bet and you know I've, I've reached out he still may come on the podcast but I've reached out to him to kind of get that I wanted to get both sides I wanted to hear what you guys thought I wanted to hear what they thought and what you think about it 40 years later and you still seem very adamant um, about your feelings for David and how the trial went I will say Truman um, came to my book club when we covered it a couple years ago, and he was just as adamant as you are about um, that it was a good case, it was a good investigation, that nobody else could have done this. It was David, and it was the Melendez brothers, and done. So he felt very strongly about it, too. At I least that's Go ahead. I said, at least that's what he told me. Okay. <laughs> um, I will say that I've read the book and, and like went over the case three times, one time right after high school. So then that, and it was just the are, book. Are we, talking about, are we talking about Careless Whispers? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Careless Whispers. Yeah. Careless Whispers is an interesting book of fiction. Of pictures. <gasps> of, fi of pictures <laughs> of or fiction? Fiction. Fiction. <laughs> it was the it was the state theory of the case, and in the book, according to somebody who told me this, and I don't remember who it was, uh, he generates a lot of stuff that wasn't there. 
including even a meeting in a room that doesn't exist. So uh, if you read that book or reread the book, bear in mind it's an interesting book of fiction. Okay. <laughs> Duly noted. But that kind of backs up what I um, thought. I read it like right after high school, and I was like, there's no question. He did it, you know, the teeth, the this, the that. And then you have my my family who, from Waco, my dad's side of my family grew up with them, went to school with them, and they're like, no way, there's no way you can convince me. And so we would be at reunions kind of going back and forth. Read it again um, about four years ago with just the book, and but we did it at our book club, and it was a debate. It was about half Nope, that's bad investigation. That was an unfair trial. He did not do it. Um, this time, going through all the other evidence, not just careless whispers, but all the other stuff that came up, this is my first time at 40 years old that I've had doubt that David and the Melendez brothers were the actual killers. I said it, I said it, I said it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting because I, of course, spent many hours with David and with our investigator, Leon Cheney, who, bless his heart, is dead now, uh, with uh, uh, Anthony's investigator. And so I know that there was a ton of evidence that could have been brought in front of the jury that never was that showed that Anthony wasn't even in town that day. Oh, oh, oh yeah, Tony. Okay. Yeah. Cause he said he was on a, um, on a job in Bryan college station or something. Right. And his, his truck wouldn't work. And afterwards, uh, just to make sure that nobody second guessed him, uh, Truman bought the truck and then trashed it. Yes. Yep. 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 I saw that. Okay, was your case Robert Juarez? Wait, nope. the murder of Robert Juarez, so then Anthony Chambers? Where is where is the 18th district? Like, where is this? Are you in, where are you? We're in the 19th district court oh, here in Waco. Oh, that's the 19th, okay. And you might find it by going backwards, and that is that his his co-defendant, my guy was alleged to have taken money to do the murder, and the allegation was that he was hired by Tyler Clay. Kid, Keith Spratt. You got it. You got it. Oh, I did see a little bit of this in the news. Hey, talk about that. Did you work with somebody else on this? Was it just your office? It was me, myself and my son. Okay, okay. So, okay, give us a little bit of that. I have it up, and I'm kind of reading along with you. Okay. Uh, it was alleged that Tyler Clay hired Keith Spratt to kill a fella that uh, uh, both he and, and several other people felt deserved killing. And so uh, the state went to trial on, on Tyler Clay and convicted him. Uh, in three hours, 
and that case has since been reversed based on technicalities because of something that Judge Johnson was supposed to have done. But it's still there. Now, my expectation is it's going to go away. But right now, it's still pending. Uh, and he's represented by two excellent, three excellent lawyers. Uh, the Gold Street, Goldstein Group from San Antonio mm-hmm. and locally by Robert Stem Jr. are his lawyers. They're fine lawyers. So if anybody's going to be able to get Tyler Clay out of this, it's going to be those guys. Wow. But we Pratt and argued that the evidence against Pratt consisted more than anything else of lying jailbird witnesses who testified that they were testifying because they were going to, they expected to get a deal and get their sentences cut. Wow. Which goes back to David Spence. Yeah. A lot of the evidence against David was the lying jailbirds who came in expecting to get their sentences cut. And one of the other things that was of interest that they would have said was that they were brought up here from TDCJ to testify against David. And while they were here, they were given special privileges like being able to have sex with their wife or girlfriend in the library of the DA's office. <laughs> my kind of deal. <laughs> wow. Um. Yeah. I saw. And I remember reading all those accusations. This is a little crazy. Well, this sounds like you got something to celebrate on this case. Um. One more big case. What your most notorious besides David Wayne Spence? Maybe one that was kind of fun, and that was a case on Robert Byrd, B-Y-R-D. I got the state to agree that they would not seek the death penalty, which is a triumph. And then we went to trial on the case, and Robert Byrd was an interesting fellow because he was probably about six foot five, solid muscle, and uh, had broken out of jail and had... uh, they were afraid to house him in the jail because he had a habit. If you didn't, if he didn't like you, he was going to go up and beat the shit out of you. Okay. So I think his was the first case that the district attorney's office used the shock belt. Shock belt. You know about the shock belt? No. no. The shock belt is a wonderful thing to have <laughs> because it makes sure that the defendant behaves himself in the courtroom. Oh, (laughs) underneath the defendant's clothes. So the jury can't see it. And they have a deputy who sits there watching them like a hawk. And if the defendant tries to, to act out, the deputy pushes the button and the defendant does the chicken flop on the floor. What? (laughs) What do they do? Just like jump up and try to attack somebody. (laughs) If they get mad. If they do, you shock them so that they don't. It's like a shock collar. It's a hot shot. That's what you need. It's not a collar. It's around the waist. Well, wow, wow, wow. And that's still, is that legal? Absolutely, as long as the jury doesn't see it. (laughs) I love these little secrets. And remember, I have to sit to these people. He was the white supremacist, Robert Allen Bird? Okay. Of Keene, Texas, I have family in Keene, Texas Aryan Circle member given life sentence for murder. So 
So he is in jail. Yeah. That's a long time right ago. Wow. So what did he actually do? What is he accused of? Uh-huh. Oh, what is he accused <laughs> of? I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he was accused of, of slicing this girl's throat because he thought she was a snitch. That's what the accusation is. And the funniest part of that whole trial, funny just from a strange, because I have a strange sense of humor, was that the prosecutor said, was cross-examining him, and he said, and when you slit her throat, she let a huge moan, didn't she? And instead of him saying, well, I don't know what she did, I wasn't there, he said, nah, she didn't do that. <gasps> oh, God. What? He convicted himself. What the hell? Convicted himself. Mr. Hunt, I'm so excited that you called me back very prompt, actually, too, and um, decided to come on our podcast. What I'm going to do is I will, it won't air for about two weeks. So we're going to drop part one. So what I'm dropping this week is part one. So it's basically like here's the teenagers, here's they were found, here's kind of like, the careless whispers part, like Truman Simons, the investigation, how they came up with David and the Melendez brothers, and then they went to courts and it's done, right? And then I blow them up in part two with kind of all the things that happened later um, and then how it kind of the whole case blew up. And then you're going to come, then it's going to be your interview, and I got – Walter Skip Reeves to interview next. And so I just want to see how many Waco people change their mind after this. That would be interesting to know. Yeah, yeah. I guess I can't count them, though. (laughs) That would be good. I'd like to listen to it, too. Yeah, I will send that to you. Thank you so much for coming on. My last thing, it just popped up in my head. Officer Jan Price that kind of like raised her eyebrow on Truman Simmons, Simons. Where do you know if she's around now? Do you know whatever happened with that? I really like her. I have a tremendous amount of respect for her, and I have totally lost track of where she might be. Okay, okay. Well, well, well. Thank well, you so she's much. She's listening. <laughs> yeah. You bet. Thank Y'all you so much. Good- you too. Have a great evening, and I'll send this to you soon. Thank you. Thank you a bunch. Bye. Bye. Wow, y'all, that was an earful, a mouthful. I hope I we thought of, like, the questions that you might have wanted to ask. But I bet if you just have a burning question, I bet if you email us at bloodyhappyhour at gmail.com, I bet we can get an answer from because we're, we're basically Hunt. best friends. Best, be, I'm about to start working for him. Did you not hear me? <laughs> Did you hear April trying to get? I was like, just let me shred the papers. <laughs> Don't forget to stay aware, stay alive, and always be DTF. Bye, y'all. Goodbye. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.